say the game is getting old Monday morning and your coffee's cold Life is not what you want it to be You need another Hello everyone and welcome to A New Direction My name is Jay Izzo And oh my goodness Gracious Gracie We have another great show Holy cow Sean T. Ryan, and the T stands for terrific. I really don't know what the T stands for, but the T is terrific because that's what this book is. This book is terrific. It is called Get In Gear. Listen, I'm going to ask you one question. All right, I'm going to look at you. For those of you watching live on Facebook, I'm going to ask you one question, and I'm going to look you right in the eye. In your business, are you getting the results that you want? Yes or no? Are you getting the results that you want? That's the question. Chances are you're not. Sean T has got the answer. Get in gear. Oh, man, he can take you from strategy to results. Ooh, ooh, ooh. The book is powerful. The book is good. It's going to be great. And I'm going to tell you something. You're going to love him. He is fantastic. He's one of the world's most renowned consultants. I'm just, he's awesome. And he's out of Canada and right now. And, oh, man, you're going to love it. The book's by Rutledge. It's fantastic. Available everywhere. It's a great read. It's about 155 pages. You can get through this on Amazon in a heartbeat. But I'm going to tell you what. You're going to do what I did. Take 38 pages of notes because it's that good for you. But before we get to Sean T, let's do what we do every week, right? We're talking about your growth, right? We're talking about your growth in the four areas of your life, physically, mentally, mentally emotionally, and spiritually, right? And here's the thing, right? We have this saying around my house that says, if you are not growing, you are dying because nothing stays static. The fact of the matter is, if you are not growing physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually in those areas, you're dying in those areas, which is why every day we need to be active in our growth. So let's take the physical, and here's how we do it on the show if you've never been with us before. We we want you to rate yourself on a scale of one to ten. One, my growth is really, ugh. and then ten is my growth is outstanding. All right. So when it comes to the physical area of your life, how would you say your physical growth is? And and I'm asking in terms of like how much are you getting enough exercise? Are you getting exercise? Are you eating right? Are you eating the right things? Or are you cheating regularly? Right? I don't know why people want to do cheat meals. Don't stop. Every time you cheat, you set yourself back, right? Are you drinking enough water? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you doing the things that are necessary to take care of your body? Are you going to the doctor to get regular checkups? Are you doing all those things that are important for your health physically? How's your physical growth number? One is, uh, 10 is, wow. All right, five is somewhere in between. All right, that's your first number. Second number is the mental number. Mental growth, right? You read books like this, that is being an active participant in your mental growth. When you, when you read, you're being, and okay, listen, I know that some of you go, I just can't read. Can you listen to a book? Because that'll help you too. All right, because you can listen, you know, you can listen to books on Audible, right? And that could be really helpful, right? And I recommend that you take notes. The The point of the matter is be an active participant in growing your brain, doing things to grow in knowledge and understanding of what you're doing. You can always be better in what you do, right? There is always, oh, I'm going to borrow something from Sean. You know what? You're, you know what? There is a strategy out there that may need to change. And this may be the mental change that you need to do. And you need a strategy to change what you're doing in your mind. So how would you rate your mental growth on a scale of 1 to 10? All right? 
So you got two numbers. All right, third number is emotional growth, right? Emotional growth, what does that look like? Okay, well, it's just like this, really simply. When you're under stress, when you're under pressure, when you're um, under <laughs> exhaustion, when you are being pressed all around you, right? Uh, the special operations forces guys that we have interviewed on this show have said the same thing every single time, every one of them, right? And when it comes to your emotions in particular, you never rise to the occasion when you're under stress. You only fall back to the level of your training. We are in training, right, emotionally every single day of your life, right? So the first part of your of being of your growth is how well are you controlling your emotions when you're under stress and pressure, right? And you can be better every day at that. You can control your emotions. It's not easy, but it can be done because you don't have to emotionally respond. We have a saying in our house here, right? I am 100% responsible for what I say. I'm 100% responsible for what I do. Get ready. Here comes the one that's the hardest. I am 100% responsible for how I respond to what you say to me. That's the emotional growth piece. And then the second part of emotional growth is how well are you able to tap into and understand the emotions of other people? By the way, Sean's going to talk about in his book the importance of communication and really understanding your people, right? Because it because you, you just can't – it's not a one-way street, all right? So you have three numbers there, right? Physically, mentally, emotionally, okay? Fourth number, spiritually. A lot of people don't think they're spiritual. We are all, are all spiritual, whether we want to believe or not. If you remove the physical, the mental, and the emotional, you know what? What do you have left? Well, probably the spiritual. Right? It's probably the stuff that you don't think about that you actually do. It's stuff that you believe in. Right? When there's when there's chaos in your life, what do you run to? That's what you believe in. Right? Some people it's God, some people it's nature, some people it's meditation. There's a number of things that people go to to um, relieve themselves of the chaos in their lives that they believe in. Sometimes they just believe in themselves. The fact of the matter is that you believe in something, even not to believe in something means that you believe in something because it takes faith to believe that something doesn't exist in the way that you have faith to believe that something does exist. So when you have faith, regardless of whether you believe it or don't believe it, it requires faith, you're spiritual, all right? So the question becomes, are you growing? Is it working? And then what do you need to do to change it, right? So you got four numbers, right? You got now you got the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. It's like four legs of a chair. If the legs of the chair are uneven, our posture is off, and we can be miserable over the course of time. If the chair legs are too low, then what happens is we can't eat at a table and be nutritious like we should be. And speaking of someone who has their legs all at the right height, and he is absolutely outstanding. His name is Sean T. Ryan. He is world-renowned business consultant, speaker, trainer, and executive coach. And he is the founder of Whitewater International Consulting. And he has worked with internationally with companies such as Disney. You heard of them? Yeah, okay. Nucor, Steel, and FedEx. You may have heard of them too. He is also former vice president of learning and organizational development for Perrier Group of America. Sean and his team shaped the organizational culture, people's systems and processes, as well as leadership capacity. Their work helped enable a five-fold increase in sales over a seven-year period. That's why this book is going to be so great for you. With more than two decades of industry experience, Sean is highly regarded for his ability to guide organizations through complex transformational change in what he describes as, quote, a world of perpetual white water. Kind of a cool little analogy. He helps clients formulate winning strategies and then delivers outstanding results through platforms, including the 
SXR. Oh, teaser, right? Okay, strategy execution and results used by startups to Fortune 500 clients. Um, when he's not traveling for business and speaking engagements, Sean resides with his family in New Brunswick, Canada, where he serves as a taste tester for his spouse's catering business. He also provides transportation services for his son and his friends, and he boats, skis, bikes, and when time and when time and his knees allow, and boy, do I understand that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to a new direction and welcome to the show, Sean T. Ryan. Welcome, Sean. Hey, thanks for having me today. You are so... <laughs> After that introduction, I, I don't even know how I begin to live up to that. You know what? You don't have to live up to it. You just, you know, you know, you do live up to it. The fact is you do live up to it though, man. I've read this book. This book is outstanding. Uh, let's just go, let's just go dig right in. I'm going to start right in at the introduction because I think we should, because um, I, you say something right away in the very beginning that I think is really important. And the introduction is, is entitled good plans, poorly executed. And you say the core purpose of strategy is to energize and align people in an organization to propel it forward and help it succeed. A successful strategy should both guide and enable people to execute effectively at every level. Let's talk about that and expand that out a little bit and, and why uh, the, the core purpose of strategy is so fundamental to the gears here in this book. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and look, and uh, you think about this world of perpetual whitewater where, where things are changing all the time, right? And, and think about any business, even, even pre-COVID, uh, to be successful, to be able to stay in business for more than you know a month or two, uh, and and then especially in in a COVID area, things are changing all the time. You have to have a strategy. Um, you have to have something that differentiates you in the marketplace that would cause your customers to want to choose you versus choosing anybody else. And and so that strategy needs to be something that differentiates you, makes you different. It has to be things that your customers and potential customers value. Uh, and and you hope that it's uh, it's sustainable and defensible over a period of time. Though though sustainable and defensible in today's world, you know, in in the '60s that might have been years. Uh, in in uh, today, you know, a sustainable defensible strategy might be months or weeks, even uh, certainly not years or or decades, right? And so, yeah. you need to be able to position yourself and then align your team to to execute that. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to jump here a little bit because, you know, I think it's really interesting that we live in this digital world that everything is just moving faster, right? I mean, you, you think about even 10 years ago, right? We were moving pretty fast, but we're not moving nearly as fast. We weren't moving nearly as fast as we are now. Uh, absolutely true. In fact, I saw some random statistic a few uh, weeks ago that um, in in our lifetimes, we're experiencing what historically might have been 20,000 years of change. We're, we're experiencing that actually in less than our lifetimes, probably in a 10, 10 year period. What you know, and so you think about the pace of change and it just continues to ramp up. Yeah, I, this is it does. And it's faster. And this is where I think your book really I think is fundamental because it really to to kind of helping us make it through the the changes so fast because your gear analogy is fantastic and I and I love it. So I'm going to jump over to chapter one here uh, entitled the strategy to results gap why execution matters. You ask a question right out of the blocks. You you ask what the heck is going on out there. 
<laughs> that's literally so so help what is going on out there sean what's going on out there the strategy gap strategy to result gap what is going on well well jay it's, it's an amazing thing but uh, up to and I, I was roughly aware of it just through my own work and my own experiences uh, over the, the history that you recounted in my my biography there. A lot of the organizations that we work with, but but I'm a consultant, so I, I get to work in places that, that perceive they need some help. They want to do something differently. And so we were always working with organizations that needed some help trying to execute their strategy, right? So that was right. my experience. When, we started, when I started doing the research for the book, uh, it, the, the research is incredibly well documented. Somewhere between 75 and 90% of organizations fall short of getting the results that they expect from their strategies. So, so think about that for a second. 75 to 90% of organizations fall short, which means only 10 to 25% are actually mm. executing their strategies effectively. Now, I will say there's, a, there's some percentage of those cases where people will fall short. It, it was a bad strategy to begin with. Uh, you make an acquisition that's an ill-timed, ill-placed acquisition. You don't know how to integrate it into your business. You know, that's that's bad strategy. That's that's not an execution issue. That was a poorly planned execution uh, <laughs> right. strategy. Um, or you, you invent new Coke uh, and you try to fill a, a consumer need that consumers don't actually have. Well, that's that's bad strategy. So there, there are certainly some cases where that strategy to execution gap is driven by bad strategy. But that's that's really the small percentage of cases. Most of the time, that 75 to 90% who fall short, it's because of, of just, you know, good plan, poorly executed. Yeah. We don't align people. We don't put the other, the other things that are in the gears in the right place uh, to be able to execute our strategy and deliver the results that we expect. Yeah, execution is, well, I mean, name a sport. I, I tell people, and I know that I have so many women and that, and some of you don't like sports and that, and I apologize for doing this up front, but the truth of the matter is in every sport, doesn't matter what the sport is, execution is critical to scoring or not letting the other team score, right? It's just, it's absolutely critical is execution. And in business, right, you know, you're a consultant, I coach. Right, and so the, the biggest problem I see in so many people that I coach isn't the problem that they don't have a good strategy or they don't have good values. It comes right back down to your execution. You're you're just not do, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, right, on a regular basis and and not nearly consistent enough. So it f- does fall apart on the execution piece so frequently. What is it? Is that a is that a human problem? Because that's just something that we just do. Is it? Is it something that we've built into the organization? Why do you think that execution has become such the critical issue? Yeah, I think I think generally it's an organizational problem. It's not an it's not a human problem. Okay. Uh, you know, Jay, I believe that most people, and when I say most people, I mean ninety nine point nine percent of people get out of bed, they go to work every day. These days, they work from home, or they're working from Starbucks. If you're in a place where you're allowed to go to Starbucks. Um, you know, but but you you get out of bed every day, you go to work, and you're trying to do the best you possibly can, and it's so it's not it's not really a human problem, but there are organizational problems. Sometimes it's in the things we talk about in the gears in the book. Maybe it's not the right people in the right roles with the right capabilities. We've got to reskill people. We've got to get people in the right roles. 
maybe we're not communicating effectively to make sure people are aligned on what they need to do. Maybe they're not getting the feedback. Maybe we're not having the tough conversations we need to have. Uh, I know some of the things that you know we might talk about. Maybe the culture of the organization, the values of the organization aren't aligned to the strategy. You know, I'm doing the best I can within the playing field I've got to play on as a team member, but we're not organized in the right direction. And, and then, and then there, when we, we break the gears into, into kind of two bundles, uh, the first set of gears are, are those foundation or environment gears. And then the, the second set of gears are what we call the performance gears, which have to do with my, my performance, my team's performance, and how aligned is it to the strategy of the organization. So do we have the right goals? Do we have the right scorecard? Do we have the right performance drivers, which is the things that I actually do, behaviors, tasks, activities I undertake to, to be able to hit my goals? Right. And then the whole follow-up, follow-through process, those those performance gears are not necessarily aligned to the strategy. I mean, there, there are an enormous number of people who, if if I ask, uh, well, we, and we've played this, this game, it's, it's a game we call five-on-five. Five. It's a little bit of a sports analogy. It's a game we call five on five, uh, where we ask frontline performers to write down what they think their top five goals are. And then we ask their supervisors, managers, leaders to write down what, what they think those performers' top five goals are. So we've got the, we've got the, the manager's goals for the performer. We've got the, what the performer thinks their goals are, two lists of five. On, on average, how many match? Well, over thousands upon thousands of repetition, on average, it's about two. It's actually a little bit less really? than two. Really? And, and, and so people are coming to work and they're busy and they're trying to do the best they can every day. And 40% of the t- their time, they're working on the stuff their boss thinks they ought to be working on. The other 60% is kind of a random crapshoot. Right. And, and so it, it's not a people problem. It's, it's not a human problem. They're trying hard. They're just working on the wrong stuff. That's, I, 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 that's, you know, that five on five thing I thought was just genius, by the way, because <laughs> it, I, because it's such a, it's, you know, there's genius in, in simple elegance, right? You know, where it's not, it's not real complicated. This is the five things that you're, you as a CEO think are important. Here's the five things that the people that work under you feel are important yeah. and they're not matching. And it's like going, yeah. well, there's a nice starting point. I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, right? I mean, we're not asking that question. Yeah. And yeah. and I think this comes down to the whitewater thing, right? Because, you know, we're moving in this world. You say it. We're maneuvering through this world of perpetual whitewater, meaning that there's this adventure that happens, and you know, in a variety of different ways. And you say, and I quote, if we are not prepared, if we don't understand where we are and where we want to go, if we don't have the necessary leadership to take the time to develop talent we need, failure is certain. Uh, ab- absolutely. And look, if, if we don't execute in a, in a stable environment, then we're not earning the kind of returns that we ought to earn to reinvest in the business. Okay, we're not building the capability of our teams to be able to adapt to a rapidly changing environment. So we're we're not doing the right thing for our teams. If we're not executing well, we're probably not doing the right things for our customers, or at least as best we can. And we're certainly not doing the right things for the stakeholders, owners of the business. Uh, And so because we're not we're not squirreling enough 
you know, acorns away uh, when we're when we're missing, right? And and you know, the other statistic: seventy-five to ninety percent of organizations fall short of the results that they want, and and they're leaving as much as fifty percent of the results on the table. So all of the capital, whether it's human capital, it's the capital uh, that we build with our customers reputationally, or it's the, the financial capital we build for ourselves. When we execute poorly, we're missing out on all of that. Mm. So then you layer onto it rapidly changing environments, new technology, new competition, new customer expectations. And we haven't squirreled away the, the, uh, those three components of capital that we need to get to to compete in that in that future state, and and so yeah, it, it takes most businesses don't last very long to begin with, and then we layer on poor execution, and we drive ourselves effectively drive ourselves right out of business over a period of time. His name is Sean T. Ryan. The book is entitled "Get in Gear," available on Amazon and everywhere. And you're listening to him right here on a new direction. Hey, folks! Two sponsors that I have on the show: Epic Physical Therapy. They are my physical therapists. I know the owners, Heidi and Andrew Sites. They are absolutely outstanding. And you know what? They are character people who hire character physical therapists. I'm just telling you, those physical therapists are amazing. I have watched them work with professional athletes. I have watched them work with people who've come out of surgery. I have watched them work with people who have an injury. I've watched them work with young athletes, older athletes, people like me. I have watched them work with people who just want to move and feel better. You know what? That's why they're epic physical therapy because they're going to provide you with a customized treatment plan that fits your individual needs. It's not it's not physical therapy in a can. So when you're ready for your epic relief, when you're ready for your epic recovery, when you're ready for your epic results, don't look any further. Go to epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors for over 35 years. She has been at the top of the real estate game helping people all over the world. That's right, all over the world. Why? Because she's developed relationships with all of these professionals all around the world because she is independently owned and operated and does not belong to any national organization or company. She is her own company and she has trained her people in her way so that they understand that the most important part of the transaction is the relationships that you have with the people that you're working with right now and then maintaining those over time, which is why her clients call her and say about her and her team, they are the legends of customer service. So when you're ready to sell your home or buy your home, start with Linda Craft and Team Realtors. You can do that by going to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction with Sean T. Ryan and his book, uh, Getting Gears, the seven gears that drive uh, strategy to results. And I think we should just go ahead, Sean. Are you okay if we just start digging into gears? Absolutely. You just pick fire away and we'll, we'll go wherever you want to go. <laughs> all right. So first of all, let's, let's try to help people understand why you used, used gears, because I thought that was kind of fascinating in of itself, why you chose the, the analogy of gears. It's interesting, Jay. We actually, I'd actually been on kind of a search for the graphic, the model. Uh, we'd tried pyramids. We'd tried circles. Uh, we'd, we'd laid out all kinds of different graphical things for how the, the seven, we knew what the seven factors were right? It, 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 based upon all the experience that we've had and everything that we'd looked at, but, but I didn't have a picture of what it ought to look like. And then one day I was sitting at my desk and just all of a sudden got this thought. 
What about gears? Mm. The idea that gears connect strategy to results. And, and so then I, I am an engineer, you know, by training, though I've spent the last 35 years doing uh, people and organizational side stuff, not engineering stuff. So I, I can't hardly say, I, I do disrespect to engineers everywhere to say <laughs> that I'm actually an engineer, but I do have that in my background. Some part of that DNA you never really get rid of. And um, I would say that I've been in active recovery from being an engineer for the last 35 years. <laughs> And, uh, you know, every, every once in a while I, I relapse. Ah, that's awesome. And, and so I thought I started jotting gears. I'm like, what if, what if there was like this chain of gears that connected strategy results? Now it made an enormous amount of sense to me. Right. Uh, and, and because the, the thought was, uh, okay. One of the things I think, one of the disservices I think we do sometimes with books like mine and, and there are others, there are certainly others out there is, is we, we try to say to people, you got 10 things you got to go fix about your organization and you have to go fix them all. Right. And you, you have to fix them all instantaneously. And, and then, so then it, the mountain becomes so, so tall to climb that people get lost and confused. And, and so one of the things that struck me about the, the gear uh, paradigm was I can fix a gear. Right. And, it, and if I just make this gear, maybe it's the goals gear. If, if I get the goals gear to spin a little bit faster, a little bit better, a little bit smoother, then that connection between the strategy gear and the results gear is a little bit better. Right. It may not be perfect, but it's better. Right. And then tomorrow, if I realize, look, there are places where I need to, to skill people better, or I do need a different set of capabilities that I have in my organization to fully execute my strategy, the whole right people in the right roles with the right capabilities. I can go work on that gear a little bit. And yeah, there's, there's some communication challenges. And, and so we can work on that and we can, we can hold better conversations. We can give people better feedback. We can, we can create an environment where all the information is, it, it, I can make that a little bit better. And, and so I can work on one gear at a time instead of working on seven things at a time. And, and so, but then when you accumulate that over a period of time, all of a sudden your, your results gear is spinning a whole lot faster right. just by working on one gear at a time over a period of time. So I, I love the concept. It made a lot of sense to me, but then I'm like, uh, okay, I'm an engineer. Of course, it, of course a chain of gears makes sense to me. It, it so made- then I, I went, I went and found all my creative friends, all my artistic, creative, you know, English majors, you know, artists and, and uh, said and, and laid it out for them and said, does this make sense? And to a person, they were all like, this totally makes sense. Yeah. And so I'm like, OK, then then gears it is. Yeah, no, it, it does work. And I'll tell you something. It was interesting because as I read the book, um, as I was reading the book and I was thinking about the, the paradigm of gears. I was thinking, you know, what you're describing here is that sometimes we can get stuff in a gear. So sometimes we just need to clean it up. Yeah. Right. But sometimes we just need to oil it because, you yeah. know, right. It's clean, but it's not moving efficiently. So we got to oil it a little bit. Right. Sometimes right. we just need to kind of replace the whole gear. Right. Because we've got, we've gummed it up. Right. And it's stuck. Mm-hmm. Right. And I thought, and I kept thinking about every one of these gears and I was like going, you know, this makes complete sense. Because, you know, sometimes it's just, a, you know, we just, we got a pretty good gear here. It's just got to be clean. It's got to be oiled, whatever the case. And it just works all the way through. And it, and it, and it's, and it's, I just find it brilliant. So let's just go right into right, right, right. 
<laughs> first gear, right? That's the first gear, right, right, yeah, right. That's getting, first gear. Getting the right, yeah. right. Let's what is what is right, right, right. What is that first gear? How does it connect to strategy? Let's talk about that real quick. Absolutely, uh, right, right, right is about having the right people in the right roles with the right capabilities. Mm -hmm. And and so it it, it you know the, the idea that you can have a strategy, but without the right people, it's going to be really hard to execute. And, and if, if people don't have the right capabilities, uh, it's going to be hard to execute that strategy. Mm -hmm. uh, or if you've got, you can have good people. Um, when, it, when I was at Perrier, uh, we, we, knew, we, we knew that we had this opportunity. Uh, we had just gotten into uh, refreshment beverages, uh, putting the, um, you know, in the plastic bottle water, you know, back in like 1994, 95. And, and we could see that business taking off. At that particular point in time, Coca-Cola and Pepsi were not in the bottled water business. The business was just too small. Right. But we also knew that there was a point in time with with our cur with our growth, we knew there was a point in time at which they were going to jump into the bottled water business, and we also knew that we didn't actually have the talent to be able to compete against them effectively, uh, especially in in our leadership levels, and and so you know, right people in the right roles with the right capabilities. We knew we needed to go recruit different people who fit our strategy, number one, and number two, who were going to fit our value set, mm. our you know, our values around honesty, integrity, teamwork, uh, building respect uh, that, that were absolutely critical to us providing the leadership to our team that we were anticipating we were going to need to have that five. Now we, we didn't know it was going to be fivefold growth over seven years at the time. Uh, that, that really just kind of happened, but it happened because we did get, we did realize we needed a different capability of, of leaders. Uh, it, it, previously we had uh, hired talent, uh, pretty much off the street, just technical functional talent, mm -hmm. technical functional talents, important, but leadership capabilities were hugely important. And so we, we had to really re-gear and rethink mm -hmm. who do we need to have on our team? How do we go find those people? And then how do we recruit and select them to, to be on the team to get the kind of talent that we needed to be able to enable that success? Yeah. I, okay. So something that you say in this book, right? I don't know if you say it exactly this way, but I'm going to say it. You hire to the values. I mean, you, you hired to the values you did because I think it's what's so easy to do. And, you know, and by the way, I, I appreciate how much of a big fan you are of Michael Porter. Cause I, I love competitive advantage. <laughs> and so I, I love that about you. Um, uh, that's just one thing. It's not the only thing I, I, I love several things about you, but I think hiring to values is something that we don't do very, uh, at least in my experience, coaching businesses, is that sometimes we try? We're so focused on hiring this great talent, yes, that we're not hiring to our values of our company, and nor do we really know clearly what the values are of our company. You know, and you ask you ask some pretty great questions here. You know, what do we stand for? What do we believe in? Um, what are the broad boundaries we want people to play within and enable us to execute a strategy? I think those are really fun, fundamental questions that every business needs to ask right up front. Uh, I agree a hundred percent. And the way I would describe it a little bit, Jay, is I think there's always a gap in an organization between where you are and where you want to be. 
we talk a lot about obviously strategy to execution results. We're talking about the business strategy. How do we position ourselves in the marketplace to be successful? But to me, it's it's really kind of that strand of where do we need to be and how do we need to get there? What's that business strategy mm. that gets us to that? As Wayne Gretzky would have said, you know, I don't skate to where the puck is. I skate to where the puck's going to be. That's that's really the essence of strategy is skating to where the puck's going to be. That's the business strategy. But I think there's an intertwined strand of DNA with business strategy, which we call the cultural strategy. What's what's the culture of the organization that we need to have mm. that's going to enable us to execute that business strategy? And and culture starts with the values. What do we stand, the, the questions that you pose there, what do we stand for? What do we believe in? What mm. are those widest parameters that we want people to play within? Well, well, those are our values. And, you know, there's some that are, I think they should be, they, they may not be, but they should be almost universal. Uh, honesty and integrity, respect. And, and by respect, I mean, deep respect, uh, not just respecting, you know, respecting people for who they are, for right. the diverse, you know, background that they bring to the table, respecting them as human beings um, and, and trust and trustworthiness, I think are universal. But, but then there's some that can be particular to an organization based upon their strategy. There, there are some organizations that have to be absolutely cutting edge, innovative, right constantly thinking outside the box. And then there may be other organizations where it's not about being the most innovative, you know, cutting edge, bleeding edge mm-hmm. organization, but you have to have incredible continuous improvement right. where getting a little bit better tomorrow um, and, and then again the day after and again the day after is the key to success. Well, depending upon those, those value, what you need to be successful does drive some of the component of of the values of the organization, right? Right. And and then that drives who you need to look for. Do you need to look for people whose minds are just, you know, they're buzzing all the time and they are the cutting edge, bleeding edge creators? Or do you need people who have that continuous improvement mentality? And so the business strategy drives the cultural strategy, which then drives who you need to go find to help you execute that strategy. Yeah. Again, you know, you, you, I'm going to quote you again. You said the critical issues to be clear up front about what values your organization needs to support the execution of your strategy. If, and you give this example of teamwork is vital to success and you hire and promote independent go-getters, you'll likely find yourself frustrated when these people don't want to play well together. And by the way, you should, right? I mean, you, you shouldn't be because they, they, because they're in the, you here, you want a talent, but your values are teamwork, but you right. hired independent go-getters. I mean, it just makes so much sense when you think, when you think through this, but we're so focused on trying to get, oh man, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get this person. They're going to produce, I'm going to get this salesperson, you know, because from this other company, because they're their top producer. Right. And it's like, wait, 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 that. You may get the top producer from another country, but it may not fit well in your team. Exactly, a hundred percent. And and if if it's important for now, if it, look, you can have an organization where it's not important to fit well on the team. That right. it, it, we actually experienced this um, organization we were working with. 
they they and, and they actually had a had a change in strategy in the early days they wanted those independent contributor go-getters you know you go you eat what you kill uh, sort of salespeople. <laughs> Well, right. after they, they'd gone into a, a market in Southern California and after a period of time, they over a 10 or 15 year period, they had literally done business with everybody that was in their addressable market that had the demographics and the right. the the, um, the income levels and, and that kind of stuff that they could do business with. They had churned through everybody. And so their their strategy for success for the future, they had to shift to a much more service mentality. Mm. How do we keep the customers that we have not churn, uh, you know, through 20% of our customers every year? How do we keep them? And mm. what's that look like? Well, well, that that required a shift in from those those independent eat what you kill salespeople mm. to people who are much more service oriented. Well, that's a pretty dramatic shift. And and so they, they had to change a lot around the compensation and, and the, the goals that they said, aligning the system structures processes and the goals and all that kind of stuff. Well, well, some of those independent salespeople, they weren't bad people. They just no longer fit the culture that was necessary and the values that were necessary to drive the execution of, of, of the new strategy. And right. so there was a little bit of churn. And some some of the old guard had to go, and some new people had to come in that had a had a different fit to the strategy. Yeah, I, I, I it just it just boggles my mind that we how we hire sometimes. I, I mean, <laughs> it just it just I'm just like, and you point you make it so clear. I want to talk about something else you want to talk about. I would at least like to hear your talk about it. It's EPO, right? As a leader. Um, when it comes to right, 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 you need to bring energy, EPO, energy, passion, and optimism to the work every day. Why is that so important to the right, right, right part of the gear? Yeah, uh, interestingly, early early in my career, I worked at the Pacific Gas and Electric in California, and uh, I was talking to one of our linemen one day. The electric linemen, the, the people when the when the storms hit and the electric lines all fall down, they're working at three o'clock in the morning and they're putting everything back up so that uh, everybody can live comfortably and safely in their homes. And and he 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 said it as well as anybody's ever said it. He said, "I don't know if enthusiasm is contagious." He goes, "But but I know that lack of enthusiasm absolutely <laughs> is contagious." You know, and, yeah. and so it was it was kind of his way, backwards way of saying what you described as as EPO, you know, energy, pride, passion, optimism. Right. Those things are critical um, if if we want people to have pride in, in what we're doing. And, and, and we, we we try to work with clients to and, and we hope that everybody's creating an environment, an organization, great organizations where people come to work and contribute their best every day. We want everybody fired up every day to contribute their best. And in those environments, invariably, there are a huge amount of pride in the organization. You know, people are wearing their logo gear, not just at work, but at home, out to dinner, because they've got so much pride in the organization. Uh, There is an energy. You know, people want to be where there's energy. Absolutely. And then that, and then that one about optimism, I think, is is critical, and, it, and it's a special kind of optimism. Uh, it's it's not the optimism. It, it's not this kind of like hunky dory, serendipitous. Everything's going to be okay. Um, optimism. You know, we've we've done well for the last five years, so we're going to do well for the next five years, regardless. But it's it's the optimism of 
no matter what gets tossed our way, no matter what happens you know, with our competition, no matter what happens in our markets, no ha- matter what happens with technology, uh, uh, COVID gets thrown our way, we've, we've got the resources, the capabilities the, uh, to adapt, to change, to flex and be successful. It's like you know, playing Donkey Kong. Is no many, no matter how many barrels that the world throws at us, we're going to jump over them. We've got the capabilities, not not because we're just whistling, right. you know, past the graveyard, but because of the inner confidence that we got, we have in our ability to change, adapt, and grow. Yeah, I, I listen. You, I, I tell people all the time. People love to be around people who are passionate. Yes. About what they do. And, you know, optimism is a sense of faith. I, I said that early in the show. People go, well, I don't have faith. I don't, I don't believe spiritually. Well, it is kind of, optimism is kind of a spiritual thing because it, it doesn't mean that everything is all, you know, uh, unicorns and, and roses, okay? It, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it, but it, what it means is, you know what? I believe enough in my people and yes. our resources, and I have enough faith in that, that we can overcome any problem that is thrown our way because I have the faith in those people and our resources and our abilities and our creativity. It, and I think that's, I think that's the difference between, you know, the unicorns and roses and, 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 and the stars and everything else. And, and then there's the, the, what I would call realistic optimism that, you know, I believe in my people and I know that right. we're going to be able to make it. So I, I mean, I, yeah. I totally agree with that, but I, and you're right. You know, what we bring into work as a leader is so critical to what happens to the rest of the team beyond you because it affects everybody you know when when the leader is grumpy and edgy and everybody is walking on eggshells absolutely right right and and when the leader is happy and you know believes in everybody and is and is encouraging where they need to be encouraging and is standing on the values where they need to stand on the values and they're you know because as you know you i think you said this or i interpreted it this way you know what you don't correct you accept right so if you don't you know, if you don't correct the value, if you got people violating your values and you don't correct right. it, well, then what you're accepting is that it's okay for them to violate your values. And so, you know, there has to be that combination of positivity and, and passion and, and pride and, and optimism. And I found that brilliant. What about getting, uh, what about though there are times that when we have to get the wrong people off the bus? Uh, a- absolutely. Right. I mean, there are times, um, that for whatever reason, there, there are a lot of reasons. Uh, sometimes it's because the, the need to, what we need to be successful has changed so dramatically. And, and I think one of the, one of the capabilities when we talk about, you know, right people in the right roles with the right capabilities, I think one of the responsibilities on the organization is to try to help people adapt as best they can to whatever the future holds. I, I think we own that as leaders in organizations to do that. Right. But there are times when people can't make the adaptations necessary. And so then we we have to place them as humanely as possible somewhere else. Right. We need to get them to some place that they can be successful if they can't be successful in our environment. Sometimes, it's uh, as as uh, I'll, I'll, I will use a little bit of a sports analogy. I don't use all sports analogies, yeah. uh, but but this one I think works well. Uh, when Lou Holtz was coaching Notre Dame, and they won the national championship, they asked him. He became an instant leadership guru, and they they asked Holtz, you know, 
coach, how do you, how do you get your team motivated? And, and Holtz's response was classic. He said, my job is not to motivate people. My job is to, is to get rid of the people who can't motivate themselves. Mm. Now, now what he didn't say wow. in that sense, but is absolutely true is he spent all of his time as the head coach of the program trying to build an environment where people could motivate themselves, mm. making sure the athletes had everything they needed to be successful, making sure everybody else associated with the team had what they needed to be able to be successful. When, when you've got that environment and, and you do everything you possibly can to coach people, to help them be successful, giving them the feedback that they need to get to be successful. And, and ultimately over some period of time, they can't get motivated, to be successful well, then you do have to make the choices that some people have to leave the team right. because otherwise they're just dragging everybody else down. I, we're talking with Sean T. Ryan. The book is entitled Get in Gear. Uh, you're listening to him here on A New Direction. Hey, folks, uh, really quickly here, right? My two sponsors, Epic Physical Therapy, Linda Craft, the Team Realtors. Look, the one thing that they both have in common is they have this intense uh, caring for people. That's the truth. They care about the people. They know their people personally. They know their clients when they walk in the door. And those that they don't know, they get to know. And that's what makes both Epic Physical Therapy and Linda Craft and Team Realtors really special because, um, you know, what they recognize is, yeah, they could do everything to help you get your body right or find the right house or sell your house. They could do all those things, right? But the truth of the matter is it's about people at the end of the day, right? You know, I've used this. I've used this before in several speeches, right? Uh, P&Ls is not about profits and losses. P&Ls is about people and lives. And that is exactly what Epic Physical Therapy and Linda Craft and Team Realtors have in common is that they understand that the real P&L is people and lives. So when you want to get your body right, go to Epic Physical Therapy. It's epicpt.com. And when you want to get your housing right, whether it's finding a new house or selling your home, go to Linda Craft and Team Realtors. And that's lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T.com. And we're back here on A New Direction with Sean T. Ryan and his book, Get In Gear. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, great book. Are you having a good time, Sean? I'm having a blast, Jay. This is a this is a treat. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad because I want I want you to have a good time. I want you to come to the kitchen and and uh, sip and eat and and enjoy it a little bit. And speaking of which, I'm going to jump to chapter four, another gear, right? Culture of communications, and I had to do it because we talked about food and we talked about unicorns. And so it's called culture of communications, changing marshmallows into unicorns. How is that great? That's a great segue on my part, I think. Uh, <laughs> That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell us about the marshmallow and the unicorn, and how do what do we need to do to make that transition? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll start with the unicorn first, which kind of paints the picture of what we want to have, and then we'll talk a little bit about the marshmallow, which is what we often experience. So, we're we're doing some work with a, a client. U.S. large number of facilities around uh, North America, the U.S. in particular, probably 85 locations. And and they knew that they had seven or eight of those sites, as would be typical, as you would expect. Seven seven or eight of those sites really outperformed uh, many of the other 80. And they were really interested in trying to figure out what was it about those seven or eight that made them different? And then how, how would they transfer some of that to the other 75 or so sites? So we walk into the first one of these really high performing great sites 
and we're doing an assessment. We, we train some of their team members to help us with the assessment. And the first afternoon after we get everybody tra trained up, we, we go interview. Uh, we probably interviewed 10 or 15 of their team members, knowing that we were going to interview a bunch more the next day. And, and every person that we talked to, every person we talked to said the same thing that in the same thing, it, every conversation started with, hey, tell me what it's like to work here. And every person, their first sentence was, this is the greatest place I've ever worked. And then, then the second, we said, okay, well, what makes it great? And then the second sentence always devolved, went to essentially, because our, our leadership team, the level of communication here is so much different than any place else I've ever worked. And, and then we, got deeper into the assessment, we asked for examples. And, and so we had 10 of our team members out interviewing 10 or 15 people that afternoon. And we got the same story from all 15 people. So as a team, we're going out to dinner that night and debriefing the, you know, this was all done. I didn't know what had happened in the inter other interviews. People didn't know what had happened in my interviews. And we're talking about it at dinner. And we realized every conversation had started the same way. Mm. And, and so at first I thought, man, we got punked. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody, there is no way, there's no way we asked 15 different people by seven or eight different interviewers, those same questions. And we got exactly the same answers. We got punked, but, but then we started digging deeper into the assessment. And then what we realized was it really was that place. And, and one of the people at dinner with us said, oh, my God, I think we've just crossed paths with the unicorn. <laughs> in, you know, that, that unknown, that, that legendary but never seen place where you right. go and it's just so cool and the communication is so great that people are just bubbling over. And, and Jay, from your experience, my experience, is that is incredibly is. unique, right? So that's exist. the unicorn side. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So by the way, I love that story, by the way, it, it really captured me. So the, okay. Talk about the ooey gooey marshmallow piece. Yeah. So, so again, early, early in my career, um, I worked at Pacific Gas Electric and it was a, in, in the early 1980s, it was the, one of the best, and they've struggled, you know, at different times for different reasons. And we're, we don't have to go into all that, but in, in the early 1980s, you know, PG&E was, was a great organization that was going through a massive transformation to become more customer oriented. And, and I was lucky uh, in the seven years that I was there, uh, I, I got to play a bunch of different roles, which, which gave me lots of, yeah, I got to talk to people at different levels of the organization on a daily or weekly basis. And so I got, I got a perspective on the organization that was different than a lot of people had. And it was really interesting. I, you know, most days I'm talking, I'm working with frontline team members, our customer service people, our electric, you know, our electric uh, linemen, you know, electric construction, gas construction, engineers, estimators, you know, really frontline people doing the everyday work and, and everybody, they were great people and they were talented and they shared the values of the organization and they really wanted to do their best every day. And, and they talked about, man, we could do these things and we could get better for customers. If we had this bureaucracy out of the way, these policies, procedures, you know, that, that are kind of just really cumbersome. They kind of get in the way of being the best we can. We could be more efficient. We could do better things for our shareholders. 
And then a few days later, I might be in the corporate office and, and in conversations with senior executives. And, and they'd be talking about, man, we, it, we, we know we've got cumbersome policies and procedures into place. We, we know that for us to be really successful going in the future, we have to be better connected to our customers. And, and, and there, if, if we did all those things, we could be more efficient and we could deliver better returns for our shareholders. Incredibly similar language yet completely disconnected. Mm. So the senior executives are seeing one side of the problem. The frontline team members are seeing a different side of the problem. And, and yet those messages were completely disconnected. Mm. And, and I just came up with the metaphor of it's the marshmallow layer. It's this ooey gooey mass in the middle of organizations. And, and since then, it, you don't have to be a 28,000 person PG&E you can be five people working out of somebody's right. garage right. and you can see some of the components of the marshmallow layer where information needs to move. Right. It needs to get better connected across the organization. It just doesn't. Right. And most often it's not because anybody's trying to keep it from happening. Right. Right. It, you know, oh, this is a need to know and you don't need to know. It's not that kind of stuff where somebody's explicitly withholding information. It's just, we just choose not to share because we don't think it's important to somebody else or we don't have the time or we think about communicating, but then we don't, uh, for whatever reason, bad news doesn't travel as fast as good news in most organizations. And so you just get this, the inertia of, of information just gets jammed up in, in that marshmallow layer in the organization. So you say in this chapter, you say, so what does it take to transform a marshmallow into a unicorn? And the very first thing you come out with is, and by the way, most CEOs, leaders don't want to hear this. Communicate, communicate, communicate. Once is not enough. That's that. There, there's there's five of them uh, that he's got here, by the way, folks. But this is the first one off the block. Nobody wants to hear that I have to continually repeat myself. But it right. really is true. Yeah. I, I told them once, I don't understand why they don't get it. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. You know, I mean, every advertiser knows you don't tell them once. Right. right? I mean, how many, right. you know, seven, eight, 50, 100 impressions right. do we have to get before the message gets through? Except when we're leaders in organizations, we think if we say something one time, everybody's going to get it. You know? Yeah, that does it, it. It never makes sense because we're okay. We keep telling people in our marketing, well, make sure you repeat the number three times. Make sure you say the web address three times or five times or we you know throughout the whole thing, right? That's what right. we say. But then when it comes to our people, we go, well, I said it once. They should know. Well, right. But you don't even do your marketing that way. You be, I mean, right. So why would you? Why right. would you even begin to think that? Saying it once is going to work. I, I it, it, that just never made sense to me. I want to quickly jump over to the the one area that I think most people. I'm going to jump. It's called. It's chapter eight. It's follow up, follow through. The glue that holds it all together. Mm. Um, and you know we only have a few minutes left, but because it's gone so fast, um, crazily, um, it always does. Uh, but follow up and follow through. Uh, and the question of accountability and you know one of the things that you talk about here is with in regard to accountability it's not that you hold people accountable but it's that people are accountable to themselves absolutely and and so there are really two components to follow up follow through one and critical is the whole idea of people being accountable 
Um, and, and if you, if you manage the rest of the gears, well, you set people up for success, mm. be really clear about what those goals are. So when you play five on five, you get five goals that you know, the performers goals match the, the leader's goals. Right. And so you, you give people visible scorecards so that they can see how their performance is as, as a leader, I help coach people about what those performance drivers are that enable them to be successful. What are the critical task activities, behaviors that they should be spending time on? You know, if, if you go back to your football team analogy about the, the process, right. right. And the execution, man, when the, when the right tackle fires on such and such a play, the hands go here, the feet go there, right. and this is the person you're supposed to block. And you practice that over and over and over. Well, that's what we mean by performance drivers. What are those critical things that you need to do on every play as a team member, right. as a performer to be your best? If we set people up for success that way, then it's easy for them to be accountable. They know what the goals are. Right. They know what the performance is based upon the scorecard that they've got, and they know what they're supposed to do to be successful. Right. And and so that makes it easy for people to be accountable. And then the, the other part of that is that we place the burden on the performer, not the leader, for setting up the follow-up, follow-through conversation. Uh, so that way, a leader may have five or 10 or 15 people reporting to him. If everybody's got five goals, all of a sudden I'm chasing 75 goals across 15 people. Right. Well, as a leader, that's really hard for me to do. But if I've got a member of my team, each one of them maybe has four or five goals and, and we agree on the schedule with which they're going to connect with me about their performance. Well, again, that subtly shifts that burden of accountability to them away from the leader to the performer. So you give me everything I need to be successful, then the burden's on me to be accountable, to be successful, not on you as the leader to hold me accountable. So that the accountability is a big portion. The, the other part that we build in the follow-up, follow-through, which in my mind is absolutely as important for me to be accountable as a performer, is the focus on good follow-up, follow-through generates learning. I can't tell you on any given day, even if we play five on five and we're aligned on the goals, that the goals are necessarily right. So the, the first part of follow-up, follow-through, or the, maybe the scorecard's not exactly right. It's not giving us the information we need for me to be able to perform my best. So the, and, and, or maybe some of the performance drivers aren't right, or you want me to experiment, and there are going to be times that I'm going to fail as a performer. So the, the emphasis in follow-up, follow-through on generating learning first. If I'm not hitting my goals, is it because of something I'm doing, or is it because something's not enabling me to be successful. So when we place the emphasis on learning first, then when, when it really does get to the, the reason that I'm coming up short is because of me. I'm not spending time on the right performance drivers. I'm not executing correctly. I don't have the skills I need. Well, now, now it's easier for me to be accountable in those situations because as an organization, you've given me everything I need to be able to be successful. Sean, we've taken up the hour. <laughs> Believe it or not, it has gone really fast, man. It's been a blast. I, I could I could go for another two hours, but you know, your all of your listeners may you know all of a sudden shut off. Well, then maybe then maybe what we do is we bring you back for a second show. I'd love that, Jay. I mean, maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we need to come back for a second show in the future. I would love that. So, um, 
you know, in a, in a few seconds. Uh, the show's called A New Direction because we try to help people find a new direction in success and leadership. If you could leave a new direction to the listeners based on your book, Get in Gear, what would be a new direction you would leave them? Uh, the, the new direction I would lead them is to recognize that this this gap, this, that that strategy to execution gap isn't law, <laughs> you know, it it's fixable. And so get in gear and, uh, you know, go play five on five and start working on the gears and, and get better. Just do a little bit every day to get better tomorrow than you were today. I love that. His name's Sean T. Ryan. The book's entitled Get in Gear. Get it at Amazon and bookstores everywhere. Folks, you know, I say be inspired because when you're inspired, that means that you will inspire other people. And then when they get inspired, that means they'll inspire others. And then that can make this world a really great place. I'm going to be back next week with another great guest, another great book. It's going to be another great show, as I say to you every week. And you know what that is, everybody. Ciao, everyone. A new direction, a brand new day. A new direction, things are gonna change. You can find the strength to go a different way, yeah. The time has come, your dreams will take.